0: Welcome to Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy, and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. In today's show, I interview a good friend of mine, An Dal. An is a competitive legacy format player, and we used to play Magic together a few years back when I traveled to the Bay Area for work. We've had so many good conversations over the years that I felt like I just needed to have An on the show to get deeper into his viewpoints, his learnings, and his stories. I felt like the talk was especially valuable because On shares a lot of tips and tricks for any aspiring or currently competitive Magic player. And he's not only a positive personality, but he has so many life experiences that can be applied to Magic and elsewhere. And along the way, we share a lot of laughs and had a lot of fun. So I hope you will enjoy this interview that I had with On. So today I have on the show with me a good friend of mine, he's a competitive legacy format player and we used to play when I traveled to the Bay Area for work. We've had so many good conversations over the years and I wanted to get deeper into his personality and viewpoints. So today on Humans of Magic, I am super, super excited to be talking to An Dao. An, how's it going man?
1: Hey James, how are you doing?
0: Hey, I'm good. Thanks for agreeing to do this.
1: Oh, well, thanks for asking me. I, uh, my legacy or magic resume, it's not as uh, filled out as your other guests, but I'm very happy to be here. So thanks for No, listening. I
0: mean, I'm super excited to have you here because I feel like a lot of our listeners are like you and I, you know, we are just magic Players, we like to play competitively, we like to grind. Um, you know, not all <laughs> of us are can be pros and be on the pro tour, so I think there's a lot of value to be had just from having um uh, normal conversations, and I also believe that you're just an interesting dude. So I just enjoy talking to you, <laughs> and it just so happens they're recording this, which is you know, that's you know, we just want to have fun, right? So
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. Uh uh, I really enjoyed your uh, uh, the episode with Jarvis Yu. I remember uh, reading his articles online, um, and, you know, it's a little bit more dry for me, his articles on, I think it was on Gathering Magic, but hearing that uh, episode, I was just like, man, that's a really good episode, so the fact that you asked me to come on, I'm, I love to talk, so, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's talk. So let's start off with the first question: Who are you? I mean, just introduce to to everybody who you are and what you do.
1: Um. Yeah. So uh, I am uh, an aspiring good human being. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, being serious. I I'm an avid gamer. I've been playing video games and magic. You know, since my early, early teenage years. Um, and yeah, and you know, I, I love it. I love gaming.
0: When was the earliest that you started to game?
1: Um, I think the earliest my, my earliest memory of gaming was when I was uh, in Vietnam, uh, which was where I was born and raised till uh, 10 years old. And I remember my friend from school, uh, he lived nearby. He. Took me to uh, was like a kind of like a ghetto arcade, where it was like someone's house, and what you do is you just show up, and there's like about five different TVs set up hooked up to consoles, and uh, I remember seeing uh, the first game I ever seen was uh, Street Fighter, and I was blown away. I was like, "What is this?" You know, I at, at that time, you know, uh, I, most people know Vietnam is a communist country, so. You know we don't we have like two channels so you know our pop culture knowledge is very limited to what is shown and especially that time I think it was around um, maybe the 90s so like 90s 90, 90 to 95 and I was just like blown away by this game that was Street Fighter at the time I didn't even know the name of the game you know we just paid uh, and then just jump in and start playing. I didn't even know what was going on. Mm-hmm.
0: What was yeah. it? What was it that really attracted you? Was it the gameplay, the visuals, or something specific about it?
1: Oh my god! It was the music. It was that that intro of the. It was like na, na. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? And you know, I obviously like the graphics, the colors, um, the flashing l- colors and stuff. It was just like you know, simulation overload. Um, you know, compared to the stuff we seen on TV, which was just like, you know, plain old news stuff, you know, it was just like, wow, what is this, and, you know, he showed me like, you know, oh, it's a fighting game, and this is how you do the moves, and I was at that time, I was just overwhelmed by it, I was just enjoying watching other people play uh, more than anything, because it was just like, it was a lot to take in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a kid at that age,
0: do you remember what character you used
1: in the beginning? Oh, I don't. Yeah, that's super long ago. I I don't. I I think I remember just holding the controller and just looking at other people fi- uh, playing the game, and it was just like, wow! Like, just uh, I I love I love Street Fighter so.
0: Yeah, just just soaking it's, it in it's, it's, and watching it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, like, it, I. Anytime I'm in like a bowling alley somewhere with the, you know, and there's a Street Fighter arcade and they have those like old, like the, I think it was like the first Street Fighter, where it's like uh, Street Fighter 2 is the one that I, I'm familiar with. And that, as long as that intro kicks in, like I instantly hear it. I would hear it and it would bring me back instantly. That song.
0: Yeah, man, I, it's, it's a classic. I think you <laughs> the, the
1: intro, you know, when uh, I think it was guy was punching some guy in the face
0: right just, they just show show off and then and then the guy punches the other guy and then it goes like it zooms up and then it has a street fighter uh thing
1: yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh. i'm getting chills just thinking about it
0: me too man i i i think i think we're kind of from around the same time period even though we were not growing up in the same country and so i remember these games and it's it's funny sometimes how these games sort of it's just a common, it just becomes this kind of universal thing, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, like, I, I, that's true, because, you know, um, so my family moved to, uh, from Vietnam to Hawaii when I was about 10 years old, and, you know, the friends that I made, uh, I would ask them, you know, like, about their first experience of Street Fighter, and, you know, they, they glow up, you know what I mean? Like, my friends who, who come from a different background, a different country, uh, with different life experience, you know, as soon as I talked to them about Street Fighter, like their first time seeing it, you can see the, their, the excitement in their eyes, you know? It's- Absolutely, yeah.
0: It's a shared <laughs> interest, and it's a shared uh, growing up experience.
1: For sure, for sure. Yeah.
0: So what was it like growing up in Hawaii? You just said that you moved there when you were 10, right?
1: Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, as most people can probably guess, it was like a huge cultural shock. Uh, when I moved to Hawaii, I knew like two, three words. Like It was like, hello, uh, goodbye, uh, how are you? It was like the hardest sentence that I could, you know, I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really uh, tough in the beginning because I didn't speak much English, so, you know, kids would... Uh, you know like tease you tease me and you know make fun of me for being Asian or, or in this case uh, Vietnamese mm-hmm. you know, They'll call me names and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think a lot of people uh, that move here from another country when they're young uh, You know can probably share the same feelings or, or experiences uh, especially I think you know I, I was talking to um, uh, a few friends of mine who are American-born, and you know, they were just like in shock at <laughs> some of the, some of the things I was telling them. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember one person goes, "Man, elementary kids are brutal," <laughs> and it like like as a matter of fact, you know, mm-hmm. and and like I could see he would start to reflect of his years, you know, in elementary and it's almost like yeah like he gets it you know kids kids in general i think are brutal uh in the sense that they don't care they have no you know hidden agendas they just say what they think at that moment or
0: feel in some ways in some ways it's good in some ways it's bad but i guess we can all agree that kids you know even us we can be very vicious right in terms of just being very direct and uh Especially when it comes to people that they don't, that don't, uh, uh, how do I say it? They don't appear or or say things exactly as they do. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, but you know, I I think overall, I, you know, I had a really good childhood in Hawaii. Um, I highly recommend it if uh, folks want to start a family and uh, raise kids like Hawaii's. I, I, I had a great time. Like, I, you know, we did all kind of silly kid stuff. We get to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can't picture myself like I'm currently living in San Francisco. I, I just can't picture myself being able to do those same things or similar things uh, in San Francisco just because, you know, I don't know. It's, it's different. That's obviously. You
0: know. uh, do, do you mean it's because you're older now or just because you're in San Francisco?
1: Oh, no, just like, okay, so I'll tell you some of the stuff we used to do. Just like, uh, well, this is so, so silly. We used to go like, uh, there used to be a construction site. Um, so where our house was at, there, it's like uh, we got one of the houses when it's new. It's like a new complex. So some of the houses are already built, and then the complex is still being built uh, as people are moving in. So we would go uh dumpster diving in the construction uh, um, uh waste bins, like and these bins are huge, like they're like thirty feet long, mm-hmm. ten feet wide. We'll go in there and try to look for cool stuff you know I when you're a kid and it's just like a bunch of boys, you know sometimes some of the girls in the neighborhood would hang out with us too, but you know. Y- Finding something like I don't know, like a rock that's like nicely round would like intrigue us. I, I remember one one day I was uh, I was at home for some reason, and then my neighborhood friends would run to the door and show me they had found a skateboard uh, that they found in the dumpster, and uh, it's like kind of like janky. It's kind of broken. Uh, but since they all had a skateboard they wanted me to have that skateboard and I was like shit yeah sure and for (laughs) for like the next two years we'll ride everywhere and I mean everywhere around uh, like I'd say a two miles radius with our skateboards you know I've fallen down on that skateboard like so many times got all kind of scars up and down my legs and uh, you know stuff like that it's like kid stuff you know silly kid stuff But um, I just can't picture us being able to do that. Like, we'll play uh, catch football in the middle of the street. We'll play catch baseball, basketball in the middle of the street. It was like a, you know, it was like um, it was not a busy street. So And then even the people that lived on that street knew we were there. So whenever they turned a corner, they would, like, drive really slow, you know. Mm-hmm. it's stuff like that and they wouldn't mind it either I, that's the thing like they didn't they never came to our parents and say you know you guys need to lock up your kids like they're running all over the street or or you know call the police on us none of that you know they right. wave at us they'll smile they know us you know we know them it was it's great like i i just can't picture that happening uh in some way or fashion in san francisco not that it needs to happen and you know it's just different.
0: The way I sort of interpret your story is that it's not that you can't dumpster dive in San Francisco, and I'm sure people <laughs> do, <laughs> but it's just more how people perceive it and how people, what's acceptable and what's not. And it does seem very different from uh, from, from going to Hawaii to, to where you are now, if I may say.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, there's like a lot more like childhood innocence, like, you know, in San Francisco, I think you see a lot of, like, um, like pain, like a lot of homelessness, a lot of drug abuse. Like, I think most kids, like, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in, mm-hmm. you are, like, some, you're going to be aware of, like, the pains and tribulations of life. Uh, just if you're riding on a bus, you know, you'll see. You'll see people who are on drugs or homeless, you know. Mm-hmm. And in Hawaii, like, I never seen those things, you know what I mean? Like I've had this like childhood, ch- child innocence and just doing kid stuff with like no worries and you know, no, <laughs> yeah, so it's different here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then let's go forward in time a little bit. You were in Hawaii until you were how old?
1: Uh, I was about 20 um and Uh, You know, got a call from my sister. She was uh, living in Santa Clara at the time. And she was like, you know, she came home to visit. And she was like, oh, like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I was just, you know, messing around, going to uh, like a junior college and just hanging out with my friends all the time. She's like, you should just come live with me in California and go to school there. So I was initially not really into it, but then I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So,
0: so she was a elderly sister?
1: Yeah, she's older than me, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, and are you, is she still in the Bay Area with you?
1: She is, yeah, yeah. She okay. uh, lives in the Bay.
0: Very cool. And I guess we went forward in time a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to go back in time a little bit. What about high school? I mean, what kind of things were you into at the time then?
1: Um, In high school, I... Uh, was a JROTC nerd, <laughs> so. So, for my-
0: the viewers who may not know it, can you just yeah. briefly explain JROTC?
1: Yeah, so it's a it's shorthand for Junior Reserve Officer Training Course, and it's basically um, teaches you everything you would want to know about the military. Um, so you would take you would sign up for that program and one of your class periods you would attend class and they would teach you like military history um, you know and they'll teach you like character building things like I remember um, one of the class our uh, instructor he was telling us like what it means to be a leader and I I don't know why I remember this but it's just it's just I still this day I remember he's he was saying, you know, leaders lead from the front. Um, leaders never ask someone to do something they will not do or won't do or, you know, not willing to do.
0: Right. So that was incredibly inspirational for you, and you still remember it to this day.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's so like every, you know, jobs or organizations or or situations that I've been in, um, I've always, you know it's pretty easy to identify who's the quote-unquote the leader and I've always like, held that measure <laughs> I don't know if it's you know, silly or not but I, I I really believe that you know and uh, a lot of organizations I've been a part of the leaders are not don't even come close to willing to you know lead from the front you know
0: yeah so, so in your mind they're not really leaders right because they they're, they're not at the front they're not at the front line
1: Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of like, oh, you know, do this, do that, you know, but for things that they aren't willing to do themselves, you know, so, yeah, and I guess from that ROTC experience, yeah, that's a little bit about how I feel about leadership.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, you were really into it, and you mentioned a few things such as the, the teamwork aspect and other things. Uh, was there something intrinsic to... What what, what was the one thing that made you want to 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 do that? Because I imagine that not all kids growing up in the U.S. would have an interest in that, and everybody's unique. But, I mean, how did you initially get a hold of that? Was it your friends? Was it just something that you liked about American history? Like, was there one specific thing?
1: Um, You know, initially, it was because my friends... So, I had you know made some friends uh, uh, from the neighborhood, and one of those friends uh, goes to the same high school with me. And you know, within the first week, he was trying to tell me like, "Oh, I, I should join the ROTC with him." And um, like for me, it was like really scary because those ROTC people at the time, you know, from the outside looking in, seemed really serious. You know, sure. Like they, they seem really like they don't have a sense of humor or anything. But once I joined and uh, got, you know, get to know, got to know everyone, it was great. It was it, I, it was like a couple of things, you know, initially it was because of my friend. But I stayed um, for the whole four years of high school uh, because I felt like it was like a recluse uh, or not a recluse. <laughs> uh, a refuge, right? A refuge. Yeah, uh, English is hard sometimes. (laughs) It's hard for me too, (laughs) so don't worry about it, man. Uh, A refuge. Um, You know, a place where, like, a lot of the people in ROTC, I don't know how it became that way, but played Magic. Um, I didn't initially join ROTC because of that, but I was playing Magic since, like, middle school. So when I found out after joining ROTC that a lot of them were playing magic to recess, lunch recess, after school, I was like, dude, this is where I want to be, you know? I want (laughs) to learn about leadership and uh, go play some magic with these people. It seemed pretty fun. Yeah, Um,
0: absolutely. So, yeah, go ahead.
1: And I, I, you know, though I played, like, a lot of sports with my friends at home, I didn't really care for, like, being a part of the sports team at school, so... It was just like it was either like you did sports, or you're like the other. You know, at at my school at least, like it was like nerds, sports jocks, and then the uh, everyone else.
0: <laughs> sure, I mean it's very common for no matter where you grew up to have cliques, right? You can have uh, different uh, groups that you're supposed to be a part of, and maybe the overlap isn't as strong in a lot of places.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was pretty pronounced at my school. It was like, you're either with the cool kids, or like the sports people, or you're like, not cool, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, I guess that puts us in the not cool category.
1: <laughs>
0: Although we're super cool now, so I mean, hey, we win. Uh, uh, yeah, so you started playing Magic in grade school, right?
1: Yeah, I uh, started playing Magic around, I think, like, 97 um it was just a random thing like uh my neighborhood friend this group of friends from my neighborhood it's funny probably gonna keep going back to those guys uh they happen to know this guy named Xander which I don't even know how they know him because he doesn't have any friends he was like one of those people who's like goth you know it's very like emo this is like he was the emo kid before emo was, I think, a thing, you know?
0: Okay, he was the pre-emo.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know what to describe there. <laughs> and uh, he, he played magic. So uh, he came over my friend's house. I met him there, and he was like, you guys want to play magic? And it seemed really complicated to me. I was just like, man, this is so many rules, right? And half the things he was teaching us was you know, later on found out to be incorrect, you know? Um, but that's how this, I discovered magic It was just to, a f- uh, a friend of my, a friend or a friend, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you remember back then when you were playing what specific cards, decks or strategies you gravitated towards?
1: Oh, it was easy. It was like, I play green. Like the first deck I built was a green deck with biggest monsters I can find, you know? And uh, it wasn't like we, we didn't know that you could only play one land per turn. We thought that you can just play, you know, as many lands as you had in your hand. So I was like, what is the point of waiting around playing small stuff when I can just play big stuff? So I played like a huge green deck with like Crawl Worm. Like a lot of people laugh about Crawl Worm. Like I actually played cards like that. Uh
0: um, <laughs> no crawlworm was the crawlworm was the shit. I mean, my brother and I played back in the day, and even with the one land a turn rule it, it sounds cool. You guys had the house rule ex- exploration or something right You could yeah play it's every, just like play as you
1: can play as many lands as you want yeah um the the thing was uh, this is what um kind of brings me back is I remember uh so before xander. Uh, the guy who showed me how to play magic uh, met. I met him. Um, I remember in middle school, people were huddling around on um, like concrete floors at school uh, in this little alleyway where it's like known where all like the bad kids hang out. So I, you know, I remember going to that alleyway and then seeing a bunch of people gather around. And I thought they were playing marbles because that's what I was playing. Mm-hmm. But I found out they're huddling around playing magic, like on concrete floor, like like you know, just paved sidewalk surfaces. They, they didn't care. It was like, and I, I was like really like intrigued by it. But you know, I didn't have anyone to teach me, so it was like kind of like a cool coincidence. Because like a year or two later, when I met Xander, he's like, "Oh, you guys want to play magic?" I was like, "Oh," is, and then I started thinking that's the game that the guys play in that alleyway. And I'm just like, yeah, I want to play Magic. I want to play the same game those those guys are playing, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's good that you initially saw the game, and it must have been so addictive that people were willing to play on concrete. And then you kind of had the, the return or the introduction to it later on, and you made that association. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, there was like no sleeves, no dice, no deck box. It was just like, raw six like i don't know how many cards they had just raw magic cards on concrete floors you know like two people would be playing but like six seven other people would be like right behind them kind of like huddling down as well and watching it Mm -hmm. it's so fun it was just a weird sight you know and i think any teachers looking back would be like what the the hell are you guys doing that alleyway (laughs) (laughs) And back then, uh, at that time, it was like a, a, like a say no to drugs kind of era. So I think teachers, if they've seen that, they would just be like, you guys are doing drugs. Don't do drugs.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Just it, it does seem like no matter who I talk to or even thinking about my own experiences, there's always two common threads or themes. The first one is that you always meet some kind of, I'll call the magic drug dealer. Where it's in your case it's Xander, not because they actually deal drugs, but they connect everybody with the game and everyone gets hooked. Like in, in this short amount of time you just find that you and your friends are all just obsessed with the game. And that's that's theme number one. Theme number two is just that <laughs> uh you know, it starts to infect the whole school or or a community or you join some kind of ROTC or some group and you find, Hey, everybody's playing this and then it just it just kind of uh you just kind of have a relapse if you if you already stop playing the game, you just end up playing the game again because you have because it's all about people you play with, and it's it's actually pretty cool. I, I think back to what you said to me about Street Fighter, and so Magic is this sort of kind of underground in the '90s, kind of niche, but it's still something that a lot of guys play, and yeah, right. and and you really connect people over that. So
1: yeah, and I you know I remember. Uh... At that time, like magic uh, and comic books, and um, I, I used to collect uh, Marvel cards, like trading cards, uh, before I started playing magic. Like those things were super, super uncool. Like I'm talking about like girls who roll their eyes, not want to even stand near you if they know that you, you know, quote unquote play magic or collect trading cards, you know? Yeah, It's, like, so frowned upon. And that's one of the reasons why I think I really like ROTC was seeing that there's a place here where no one judges you for playing Magic. Mm-hmm. It was just, like, people were openly playing Magic. Like, before I, I came to ROTC, I was playing Magic at home. Like, I wouldn't bring my decks to school. I would not do any of the Magic activities at school because I was afraid of, like being teased for it or you know being you know labeled uncool so you you just hide it but at ROTC, like everyone no one cared like everyone was playing magic and it was fine it was actually better that you play magic you know
0: yeah absolutely i mean the environment and it being very supportive and fostering has a lot to do with whether you you stick with the game right
1: so yeah yeah definitely definitely i think i would have quit i think if uh if that was not the case at RTC, I think. Looking back, I, I haven't really rationalized that until just like two seconds ago. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So tell me about how you got into competitive Magic for the first time.
1: Oh, yeah. So I play Magic just super like on a casual level. Um, the first time I played competitive, competitively was at uh, Eudaimonia. Um, and it was like what feels like about five, six years ago. Maybe That's in more.
0: Berkeley, California, right?
1: Berkeley, California. Yeah, it was when uh, uh, I ca- came back to the game. Um, recently, at that time, I had broken up with you know, uh, my girlfriend at the time and, um, who didn't really like that I was playing Magic. So when I was with her, I kind of stopped playing the game. And when we broke up, like a few weeks later, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go play Magic. And uh, I looked up, you know, some websites to see where where there's a store. I looked up the store's events. I seen that there was like a Legacy event. And I was like, that's basically what we were playing. You know, we were playing like casual type 1.5. So and I was like, oh, you know, this is basically casual one 1.5. <laughs> and uh, you know, I just through my burn deck together, put some new cards in. And uh, like you know, like Searing Blaze, Grim Lapa Mancers and stuff. And I did really well. That's that's another thing I think I would I think I would have quit. If I if that tournament went bad, like I just crash and burn. I think I would have not not maybe not quit, but maybe not play competitive magic. Cause I was super intimidated. I was just I walked in there, everyone seemed really serious. You know, um, you know, and there's all these like unwritten rules of body language and how you conduct yourself when you're playing. Like, you know, I'm just like picking it up. Like, wow, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, people play with play mats and stuff like that. I was like, whoa, this is you know really intense. <laughs>
0: right. There's a whole code of conduct when you play in a tournament for the first time, and it's yeah. something that can be intimidating to new players. I would, I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean, and. I've been playing the game for, like, I think over 10 years at that point, and that was really intimidating to me. Like, I remember watching Pro Tour videos of, like, David Price playing his burn deck or, you know, like, Matt Lindy playing that uh, mono White Shadows Imperial Armor deck. Mm -hmm. And, like, the way they conducted themselves was just like, wow, this is so rigid, you know? like Or it seems at the time pretty rigid, you know, Andy? Like, you, you, you know, you tap your lands a certain way, like, you tap it all the mm-hmm. horizontal. You know, when you play casual, you just tap it, like, at a 45 degree or something, just whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But in tournament, like, it seems like you have to tap it horizontal, you know, or else people would get mad. Little things like that was really intimidating.
0: Right, right. And. I mean, you touched on something that's very similar to my experience as well, in that your first tournament was actually Legacy, in the Legacy format of Magic. Was yeah. there Now, I know that even today you play primarily the Legacy format. Is that right?
1: That's true, yeah. I, uh, you know, I try to dip my toes in uh, Modern, um, and uh, like more than a few times. I'll say four or five times. Like, I've taken serious attempts at it. And then every attempt, it kind of reminded me why I love Legacy so much, you know. I was just like, you know what? I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I'm just gonna go back to playing in Legacy.
0: So, what is it that you love about Legacy?
1: Oh, Wasteland! Like, I I think that's my f- probably top five favorite card of all time. I love Wastelanding people. Um, I'm not playing currently. I'm not playing a deck that have Wasteland, but. That's one of like the things I enjoy doing. It's just like blowing people lands up, Um, and and, and in modern, it feels very restrictive. Like, you know, you can't blow their lands unless they have four or more other lands and stuff like that. It's just like, why can't I just wasteland him? You know.
0: So it's it's almost just the. Is it more the visceral feeling of just screwing the guy's lands, or is it the fact that wasteland is this? Defining card that keeps greedy mana bases in check.
1: I, for me, it's about efficiency. Um, I feel like Legacy is as if you know, I I guess outside of Vintage, is as efficient and lean as you can get um, in terms of spells and what they do. Mm -hmm. In Modern, it feels like it's taking some aspects of Legacy uh, and then making it less efficient and then printing those cards, and then playing with them. Maybe uh,
0: not as pure, right, in terms of power level.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, playing Legacy, I think that the, the problem with me, I think for me, is that I started, I play Magic from Legacy, you know? Like, I didn't start playing Standard, you know? I played Standard back when I first started, but when we played with friends, like, we always play Casual 1.5 always like that was never a question you know and sometimes we'll play extended you know Mm -hmm. Um, but we never like i didn't grow up playing standard and then transition to modern so for me going from legacy to modern it feels like i'm getting less Mm. as opposed to from if you start from standard today and then you go from standard to modern i i imagine you probably feel like you're getting more you know like oh I'm going to do all these new things I couldn't do in standard, you know. I've been doing all these things in legacy, and then now I'm going to get restricted to doing less of these things in modern, you know?
0: Yeah, that's but a good I point. Can't
1: daze, I cannot daze somebody in modern, and that that kind of upset. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, you went to your first tournament with Burn. You did fairly well. That kind of kept you in the competitive magic scene was yeah. there a particular point where you said to yourself I'm gonna get really deep into this game competitively I'm gonna dedicate time to this was there a particular moment that you knew you were committed
1: um I actually think it was that tournament because so before that tournament I you know I moved from Hawaii to California I didn't have any uh, magic friends you know so all the people that I met at that tournament especially like uh, Denny uh, Chan you you know him uh, Ricky Wen as well mm-hmm. those two guys like I met them there they're super cool and it kind of made me feel like you know what like I can hang with these guys you know pick their brain um, you know learn what they know about competitive magic because I think at that time they, they played quite a bit of tournaments already. So I was just like, you know, tell me more. Like tell me everything you know <laughs> about tournaments. And I think doing well at that tournament is a big key to it cuz I can picture myself continually uh, continue to do well, you know? It's like, oh, I I can actually beat people who play in tournaments. And coming from a casual magic background, um that's kind of like you don't think you could, you know?
0: So that's pretty cool. I mean, you had that early success, uh, call it early success, call it beginner's luck. Uh, yeah. You were hooked right away and you found people who, who you thought you could learn from and you could learn from, right? Because uh, these guys were obviously, I mean, I know, I know Denny and I know he's a skilled player. So it sounded yeah. like you felt like there was a, you had a mountain to climb, you had a learning curve, but you could, you could learn.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it, it helps that, you know, I, I, I met Pac uh, there too, Pac Co. I don't think you met him because I think he kind of left the game when uh, you started. Like these these guys, they were you know, super cool, super chill. It was like people that I could see myself hanging out with. You know what I mean? It's not just like about the game, but it was mm-hmm. like, oh, these guys are really cool. I can imagine grabbing some food with them and talking about magic over dinner. You know, as opposed to more like, oh, that's, you know, they're not that cool. They're kind of weird. I don't want to be around them. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like it was about five to six years ago that you started. And what's it been like since then? Have you been on and off? Have you been consistent in going and playing in Legacy? Like, what's the journey been like for you over these years?
1: Oh, man, the journey has been rough. Like, A part of me kind of wished I didn't do so well, Uh, but I I guess, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because after that, right, I started wanting to build, like, other decks, other legacy decks. And uh, the problem with me is I jump around with too many decks constantly for a time. I was, like, I I played uh, my first actual, like, uh, deck I built for legacy specifically was the Goblin deck. And I enjoyed it. I played, you know, for a good, I think, like six, eight months. Um, we went to a big tournament in San Jose. It was I think it was like a Grand Prix San Jose or something. And, you know, I did pretty good. But then I got knocked out. I got to start scrubbing after fourth round. Like I win my first three rounds. I started losing, 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 fourth, fifth, and sixth round. And it was like really demoralizing. So for a long time, I actually thought, Success in legacy, was oh playing the best deck of that week or that month. So I kept jumping around to a bunch of other decks. You know, I played Rugged Del, all variation of Delver I have played. Mm-hmm. Um, I played some Stoneblade decks because during that time Stoneblade was basically the best deck. Um, I played Maverick, which I liked a lot too, and. But the thing was, you know, I didn't stick with any of those decks. I played them, did okay, you know, and then I get, I would get bored, you know. That's the other problem is I would get bored of the decks. Instead of focusing on how to play it better, I would think, oh, I'm playing it really good already and it's boring. I got this deck figured out. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case at all. Like, If you feel like, I think if you feel like anytime you feel that you got your deck figured out, uh, you probably haven't. It, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it's a bit of overconfidence, right? And it also has to do with the fact that there's variance in Magic. There are, there are going to be times when you are just crushing people because you have the good matchups or you have good draws. And, right. and that coincides with you thinking, or at least for me it does. I can't put words in your mouth, but there have been times where I thought I was hot shit and, and I was overconfident because I thought I figured this out and then I would move on to another deck and then right. also do well with that deck for a little while because of variance and then you find out and you come crashing down because the law of averages and then, then you sort of <laughs> second guess yourself and trust me, man, I've, I've, <laughs> I've been there many, many times. I also have that kind of uh, uh, inability to stick with one deck when it comes to, to magic. So.
1: Yeah, I, I remember you had reached out to me one day, and you were like, uh, I think you were playing DNT at that time.
0: Yeah, different taxes. T- yeah.
1: Yeah, and then you wanted to switch decks, and I was like, No, don't do it, don't do it.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And, and then I, what deck did you switch to? I remember you changed your deck to another deck.
0: You know, I think I started playing uh, when we were playing in Beria. I was playing the Epic Storm. I was playing Storm, um, the the yeah. Brian Cook version, and then what happened was I started playing Death and Taxes when I played locally in Beijing in China, right? And then I switched to I think it was Bug Delver, or it was Storm. Like I. Or maybe it was Nick Fit. I, I say maybe because I tried all these things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's, it's hard to go back and think about the exact narrative, but I probably talked to you about each of these different decks. Um, and it wasn't as if I had mastered D&T, not by any, any stretch of the imagination, but it was just some feeling of boredom where I would lose a game against elves and because which is a bad matchup for dnt and i'd be like for sure i'd be like fuck this i want to try a different deck that can crush <laughs> elves you know it's it's very it's very immature actually <laughs> but <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i so i remember because i remember you're playing dnt and i was so excited because <laughs> it's so weird like i get super excited when i really like dnt as a deck first of all mm-hmm. uh no. um and When I found out you're going to play DNT, I was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Because I I really respect that deck and the people who can play that deck well. You know, I I tell people this all the time. Like when they ask me, you know, about DNT, I was like, "Dude, it's just like when you watch someone play a good match of DNT. It feels like it seems like they're playing chess, except with magic cards. Like I think DNT is one of those decks that get as close to chess-like as Magic can probably get." And it's really beautiful to watch a well played DNT game, you know. Um, so when you told me you're gonna play DNT, I was super stoked. And when you told me you think about switching to another deck, I was like, no, don't do it, because I was hoping you would stick to DNT for like two years, right? Selfishly, that's what I wanted. And you become the master of DNT. And every time I can just watch you crush people with it. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate your, your high assessment of me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm anywhere near Mastery of D&T, but I still enjoy the deck enough to stick with it, and I have a lot more fun playing it now than when I first talked to you about it, because I I think I really learned that lesson from you, on is really play what you know, or play what you're familiar with, and uh, as you had just mentioned try to stick with a deck, right? And uh, yeah. just just for our listeners, maybe you can you can tell us uh what is your favorite deck right now that you play and why you continue to play it?
1: Um I'm currently playing elves. I've been playing it for over a year now. I think close to a year and a half um very soon. So I I love first of all I want to say I love elves, right? It's
0: yeah, you're a green cool. mage, right? You started off uh, tapping forest. That's that's one thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing is I I fell for the chasing after the cool decks. You know, every I remember watching Star City every week. There'll be a new deck that wins it, right? So I would go and I you know I had a lot of cards to build a lot of different decks. So I'll be like, oh, you know what? That deck just won Star City, so I want to play that deck. It seems really sweet. And then you know not settling down uh on the deck and especially in legacy there's like a little bit of snobbery like if people you know people tend to say you know uh you're a really good magic player if you play blue you know and bad people play non-blue decks, right and i mean it's not i don't think people say that like to each other's faces but there's definitely that like that feeling of like oh you play non-blue oh you must be like terrible or you can you cannot afford a blue deck or whatever, right? And Yeah, so it's like time, using
0: uh it's like using Dan in Street Fighter where people just think you're a scrub because you're not using the de facto powerful strategies. <laughs> right,
1: right. Right. Yeah. And it's just like I was I've always enjoyed non blue decks more than blue decks. That's that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. But I've always like felt like well you know what? Like I'm a capable magic player, I can play the blue decks with the best of them, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I have the card, the blue cards. I can play them. Uh, but I think what I've learned is like I should just play what I enjoy. Like I shouldn't play uh, a specific deck to like please or prove something, you know, please someone else or prove something to someone else. I usually just play the deck that I think is fun, is enjoyable for me. I mean. I as I slowly figured out like what's the point of playing a deck that you don't really enjoy just for the sake of like proving that oh yeah like I I have blue cards and I can play blue decks too you know
0: Sure but you still want to win more than you lose correct
1: That is that that's is correct and for a long time I I incorrectly thought that uh only blue decks can consistently do well in legacy which is very arguably wrong um you know, as proof, with Nick Fit, uh, Elves. You know, uh, for a uh, good example, um, have you met uh, Brett Paris? Yes, He's, I uh, have. Who- I okay, have met yeah, him. yeah. He plays goblins for as long as I have played Legacy. I think the first time I met him, uh, what? F- <laughs> I think I've been playing Legacy for longer than five years. But anyway, the first time I met him, he was playing goblins, and till this very day. He still plays goblins. And he consistently, consistently top eight uh, channel fireball events. Consistently. I, mm-hmm. I cannot emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the man knows his goblins inside and out. And if you I've watched him play goblins, and it's so fluid. His thought process, his um, technical skills, very fluid. And it only comes from someone who's playing, playing that deck for what feels like at least five years. I, I'm sure, hopefully, maybe you can ask him to come on and uh, you know, tell you all about how long he's been playing Goblins. But if you, watching him is like a pleasure. Like seeing someone who knows their deck inside and out, and it's just like a driver just operating that, that vehicle, you know? It's,
0: yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, that's the one thing. It's, it's, again, going back to sort of your childhood days, when you were watching others play Street Fighter, I, I, I feel like there's a certain enjoyment in just watching people who are masters of of their craft pilot these decks, which are... They've done it for so long and so naturally that it just becomes an extension of who they are. So, Brett is a good example of that, and I've yeah. seen a little bit of that, and I've seen the results. You also have people who are fairly well-known in Legacy and Magic, like Joe LaSette and redo right. When they play Miracles, it's like you're getting a masterclass in how the deck is being played, and they've gone on record saying that, you know, this is the deck that they run for Legacy. And it, it doesn't matter that next week there is an Odrazi deck, which supposedly is a better deck right now, but they're going to stick to their guns. And I think you... It sounds like you've learned that lesson as, as well oh, with Elves.
1: Yeah, and I lear- I've learned it the hard way for, um, like... I think a good three years of playing Legacy of jumping from different deck, uh, you know, week to week, month to month. Um, I've learned that you know, like it's not it's I'm wasting my time if I'm just picking up a new deck uh, all the time because you I think Legacy the learning curve uh, is so high uh, for not only learning how to play your deck but how to play your deck against other decks. You know, it's one thing to learn how to, like, you can go fish your decks and then be pretty proficient at, like, for example, Storm. Like, you played Storm. Mm-hmm. Like, you can sit around and go fish Storm all day. That mm-hmm. will improve your one aspect of your game. But if you never walk outside to play Storm against different other decks, you're not going to be able to get to that next level, you know, where you're playing the deck proficiently and learning how to use. Your deck to beat other decks, that is going to bring hate against you. You know?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it's maybe even more magnified in a format like Legacy, which is very skill testing and complex. Is it's not your deck, but it's also your deck in relation to the other decks. Uh, well, I mean, any format of Magic or any Magic game, it's always like that. But right. I think you've hit the nail on the head in that in Legacy it's really magnified and you can be really rewarded or punished based on how you interact with your opponents.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, not, maybe there has been a lot said about that, but I really cannot stress that enough. Like, whenever I see someone who's new to the format, who, you know, wants to pick up a deck and asking for advice, like, my first advice is always like, find something you enjoy playing and just stick to that deck, you know. And the the skills you'll learn, it's not going to become apparent like in like one month. But if you play that deck for at least, I think the for me at least, the tipping point is about six months playing the same deck. You know, some other people who are like really, really, you know, naturally talented in Magic, it might be like a month, you know. For me, it's like grinding weeklies uh, for about six months. That's kind of like the tipping point when you kind of like, kind of be able to wrap your head around your deck a little yeah, bit more.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I also think that it goes back to what you are saying. You have to be disciplined enough to know that you don't know what you don't know. So it, the, first, <laughs> the first one or two months, you might feel like, I'm hot shit, I've mastered this. But right. you have to resist the temptation to think that way. And you have to grind it out. You have to dedicate time to understand all the matchups because you're not going to be running into every matchup all the time you know, or or when you do you might get lucky or really unlucky so it's I, I think the six months it's, it's a really good rule and I I highly recommend that to, to anybody listening because I, I feel like that's that's applied certainly to myself as well
1: right and and just for that what, what deck are you currently playing James?
0: I'm playing Death and Taxes and Storm oh. so I have I have both of these decks and I bring them out depending on um, how things are in a given in a given week in our <laughs> weekly, so uh, but those are the two that I stick with.
1: Can, can I just say, they're basically on the opposite side of the spectrum. Was that intentional or was that just a coincidence?
0: Yeah, so I feel like when I want to be in a grindy mood in terms of, you know, I want to play 15, 20 turns, I want to go to time every game every round, <laughs> and I want to try to outplay opponents, then uh-huh. that's when I do Death and Taxes. But if um. I just want to, if I just want, this is a terrible term, but if I want free victories or, or, <laughs> or you know, in matchups where it's very advantageous, like when I'm playing against Shardless Bug, yeah, I could grind. If I know the room has four Shardless Bug decks, I could grind them with Death and Taxes and be okay with that. Or I right. can just try to tendrils them so i feel like it's sometimes and actually it's funny i i talk about trying to stick to decks but i think i played burn a month ago in a tournament just to just to troll people um
1: oh you did yeah yeah
0: yeah it actually kind of worked because everyone was on their non-basics and and they're like nobody and nobody expects uh people someone to bring burn to a local and it's just it's just frowned upon (laughs) but but i did it anyway and because i uh, anyway that's a tangent, but yeah, I usually stick to a few decks i can't say i'm perfect i'm still human, I make mistakes, and i don't haven't stuck to the same deck, but most of the time you'll see me playing death and taxes unless I just feel like doing something spicy so
1: right right yeah well, that's uh, that's wonderful i I'm glad you gave death and taxes a another nice shot and went back go back went back to it yeah you
0: know? yeah, yeah it's a really fun deck um but I want to talk a little bit about the Now I want to ask what's the best magic related memory you ever had. Now I've now I'm thinking it's got to be something related to elves, but I can't assume that. So what's the best memory?
1: <laughs> well, I was uh so I, you know, I uh as you may you know, I've did really well on uh Channel firewalls 3K in uh, March of this year. I won the whole thing uh, but you know looking back and I kind of thought about it I was like, that's not my...
0: You won it with Elves right?
1: I won it with Elves yeah okay. um, you know it, it, it kind of like validated my choice of sticking with the deck like I played Elves through the good times and the bad times like I played it when it was good before uh, Treasure Cruise and uh, Dig Th- Through Time came out and then I played it during Treasure Cruise. Uh, and then after Treasure Cruise was banned, uh, Dig Through Time was like the hot card, right? And Miracles and Omni Show was crushing everybody with Dig Through Time. And I was, play- I was still playing with elves. I remember Denny was telling me, like, oh, maybe it's time you consider switching to a new deck, you know? Mm-hmm. Elves just seems really, like, underpowered right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I thought about it. I was like, I told him the next day, I was like, no, I'm going to stick with elves because I think dig is going to get banned. It's just overtly powerful. Uh, There's just no way I can see it continuing its dominance in a format for much longer. And I think we had a conversation about that because you, we had talked and I was like, dude, like, uh, I think you told me you're thinking about getting foil dig, like foil German digs.
0: Yeah, man, I still
1: did. (laughs) Then I told, I told you my opinion, which was, don't do it, don't buy it, because it's gonna get banned. And then you were like, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think it's fine. Which, I, I can already tell you don't play elves because you play elves, you would just feel like that card's gotta be bad, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the card is so good, so good, right? Um, Right. Ridiculously good. Um yeah, so yeah I, played- I mean, you played Elvis
0: through the, the good and the bad, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, I just stuck to it. Uh, and playing through the Treasure Cruise and the Dig era, it allowed me to, like, have to, f- it will force me to fight harder for each win. Mm-hmm. And I think after both of them were banned, like, games just got s- what felt like a lot easier because now I'm just like, oh, I don't have to fight through those two cards anymore. Um,
0: have you ever watched Dragon Ball?
1: Dragon Ball
0: Z, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like what you what you just described to me is like when Goku is training with those shackles and uh, it's really heavy. And then the one shackle in his hand is dig through time. The other one is uh, a treasure <laughs> cruise. And then suddenly he takes it off and he feels super light because he's been training with those restraints. Um, ah, yeah, yeah, kind I, of a non sequitur. But I just I, the way you described it made me think about that.
1: Yeah, and I was really like, I was just rooting. Like, I didn't want to be a bummer, but I was just like rooting. Like, I hope these two cards get banned. When Treasure Cruise came, I was like, man, this card's so good. I hope this card gets banned. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then Big is like, oh man, this card's too powerful. I hope this card gets banned. And I, I think, for the most part, uh, I though I am biased. I think it was the right choice to get those cards to leave the format.
0: Okay, so. I guess if you had to, if I'm trying to analyze your answer, if the real answer, the pinpointed answer to best memory is winning the 3K this year, the fact that you said, you know, that it, it felt like the journey itself and sticking with the deck uh, yeah. was the yeah. main thing, and maybe the 3K win in March was just a validation of all that. It showed to yourself that that sticking with the deck through ups and downs actually was rewarding is that fair to say
1: yeah it, it, it definitely was like when i won the 3k um like i didn't really feel like like super excited um it didn't really hit me till the next day i was like oh man like i actually won that thing and that's that's something that i had thought about before like winning channel firewalls legacy turn uh, monthly but i never actually like think it would happen because you know everyone's so good down there like you know I've and and the tournaments like uh, uh it was it was really it was really nice. It was really nice. Uh but the thing is it I didn't feel like I needed to win that to uh to, to validate my, right yeah to validate it, it did validate me but in a way it d- didn't because I felt like I was doing the right thing Sticking with Elves, um, because I before I won the 3K, I was doing relatively good at, you know, like a GPT, uh, that was at Versus Games in San Francisco. They're really good at a GPT in uh, Eudaimonia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I was enjoying playing the deck, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I really enjoyed it. You know, I didn't care if they didn't have Brainstorm, you know, I don't care. Like, it's whatever.
0: Okay, that's that's a great answer. So, switching gears just a little bit. I want to ask you, are there specific lessons you've learned about playing magic that you've applied to other parts of your life?
1: Oh, I I I think about this sometimes when I'm thinking like, "Oh, I really want to, you know, be in an interview one day." It's like, I don't know, it's like a dream scenario, right? Like I'm in an interview for <laughs> <they> want, right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and then the guy's like you know seems like uh, magic's a big part of your life like tell me how it applies and I, you know I would just love to tell him like timing like magic is very key mm-hmm. timing is so key that's if you time it wrong you're probably going to lose that game um, and it, like in life that's important you know I think um, a lot of times we we think oh we can just push things and force things to happen and that might be true in some instances but sometimes like when an opportunity comes up you rather just really get in there and um try to take advantage of it you know like timing like that opportunity might not be open again like a job listing you know might come up and you better apply for it before it closes out you know like like that or uh resource management like you know not tapping certain lands or not tapping out for a turn, that Mm -hmm. really applies to life too, I think. Um, You know, you have to identify what's important to you and manage, you know, a lot lot of times it's money, right? It comes down to money. um, Mm -hmm. And managing those resources correctly. Um, Like magic, I mean, I could sit here and go into, like, uh, magic has taught me a lot. Uh, Like, The fundamentals of magic does apply to real life you know Mm -hmm. and I think those just those two uh timing and resource management key parts of the game very important in real life as well
0: yeah that's I can absolutely agree with that absolutely
1: yeah and I I think I'm going to add one more which is uh practice like in real life, a lot of times we feel like, oh, like I deserve that job, or I should have that job, or I should have that promotion. But you know, in in magic, you have to practice before you see some sort of success. You know,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: a lot of times in real life, we just feel get entitled, like, oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe these maybe these are just my thoughts. <laughs> no, uh, no,
0: this is good. I I like the practice point because I do agree also that no matter what you are doing, whether it's magic or any activity, you have to be committed to putting in the work to get better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like for a while, I was mistaken to think that, oh, I can just play the, the, the quote-unquote best deck of this week or best deck of this month and shortcut my way to success. That's what I thought. Incorrectly, right? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that Actually, a lot of those people who succeed with their decks have been playing that deck for two years, three years, sometimes five years, you know? Yeah. They've been playing it for a long time. And by the time that they succeed and win a tournament or top eight a tournament, it's just the result reflecting of all the time they spent into getting good at that deck. And I think in like, like in real life, a lot of times we see people succeed and we think, oh, like, oh, that guy didn't, you know, you you don't get to see the hard work that person has put in. You just see the result. So a lot of times we think, oh, like, how can that guy got that promotion or how can that guy got that job or, or get to where he is in life? Like, well, it's probably because that guy's been grinding away for the last five, ten years to get there. We just don't see it.
0: Yeah, we often as a society look at things very, in a very short term way and we we sort of dismiss people as being overnight successes when, in fact, there's a lot going on that we don't see and we often dismiss it.
1: Yeah. And I see, it, it seems to me like, it just from, like, uh, you know, like in music, it seems like that's the case. Like, a lot of times, uh, a new artist would come out with huge success overnight. and Everyone's like, oh, my God, like, where did this person come from? Oh, that person's so lucky, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't see that most bands that make it in music have been playing for like 10 years. I didn't know this until uh, an art like a musician friend of mine was talking to me about this. He was like, "A lot of bands that you see that succeed on, uh, you know, on your mainstream radio mm-hmm. they're not overnight successes. They might you know, news articles might paint them out to be that way, but a lot of times these guys have been playing for five, 10 years. Most of them are ten years, ten years mm-hmm. deep, you know
0: yeah no that's uh, that's a great point, and I think your story about your musician friend just sort of confirms it for me at least that this is something practice is something that that is applicable to all walks of life right it doesn't matter if it's magic or business success um, it's you know we all have to we all have to earn our dues and put in the work so
1: yep, absolutely, absolutely okay,
0: uh so do you have any Daily or weekly rituals when it comes to magic? Do you have a routine that you constantly go back to?
1: Um, so magic for me is like the fun part of my <laughs> the fun part of my week. Um, I try. Uh, I haven't been going to uh, the weekly legacy events. Uh, I usually play at versus games in San Francisco. You, I think you've been you've been there, right? Like a few times.
0: I think I've only been to the uh Eudaimonia and Channel Fireball stores.
1: Oh really? Oh my god. Okay. So
0: I'm yeah, missing out, missing. right? I gotta gotta hit up that store sometime.
1: <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know, just last week I, I I wasn't there but the guys told me there was thirty people. Thirty people for a Tuesday uh weekly legacy event. Thirty people. That's awesome and I remember when uh Versus first started hosting legacy events, it was like we're lucky to get eight. We mostly had six and sevens. I remember because the staff would have to jump in and play, like to be the eighth person kind of thing, you know, or we would just play with six. And I was just that humble beginnings, and now it's like consistently, you know, 16, 20 people at least. Last week was 30 people. So I, I try to play at least once a week. Um, to kind of just get my reps up, you know. And um, with elves, you have to be pretty technical, mm-hmm. um, remembering triggers and being pretty precise with what you're trying to do. Uh, so playing uh, once a week for me is usually sufficient. Um, you know, that that's usually what I. And it's fun. Like it, I look forward to those days. So.
0: So I guess you just make sure that you play enough of the deck. You get enough practice in, and you're. You're getting some real game experience week in and week out, right? Just that's that's your sort of the ritual you you would follow.
1: Yeah, that's what I, uh, and that's has worked out luckily for me pretty well. Um, well, the thing is, the game for me for me that Magic doesn't end with just that weekly. Like I would before uh, Tuesday come around, I would think about the changes I want to make to the deck, you know, and then after Tuesday. I would think about what other changes I want to make as well. And then throughout the week, I would try to reflect on the uh, games that I had and the mistakes that I had throughout the week. Like while I'm at work, if I have some free time, I would think like, oh, man, that game two of round three was brutal. Like I was, can't believe I made that mistake, you know, and just kind of just think about that um, kind of helps me not make those mistakes anymore.
0: That's a good That's a good one. It sounds like you're reflecting on what happened in the week, earlier in the week, and think about how you can not make the same mistake twice.
1: Yeah, like, though I only play, you know, for three rounds on Tuesdays, I do, I try to limit when I think about magic, because then, you know, if you don't, I think it just consumes you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I try to do it when, you know, I have some free time at work, preferably, but I'm not, you know downtime right. and i think about, reflect on how i could play better like i usually know i made a mistake as soon as i make them like as soon as i made it i was like okay i know that was wrong and i should not have attacked uh right there because i could have used that elf to just tap for mana to cast my green sun zenith so
0: I, I feel like the fact that you can recognize mistakes when you first Almost in real time that's both a gift and a curse because it's a gift in that you recognize it, <laughs> but it's a curse in that you realize oh shit i've done this so can you talk about how you would mentally or emotionally handle things like that as they happen in a tournament whether it's a three rounder or whether it's a gp
1: oh man uh, it's it's hard when it's at the gp level because you know i I want to so I wanted to win really bad, like, mm-hmm. like you know, i like last uh, GP Seattle. Uh, you were there, you know. Yeah, we met up, up, there, up there. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I was playing uh, Chris Van Meter. Um, I think the gentleman from Star City with the big beard. I mm-hmm. think that's his name.
0: Yeah, Chris Van Meter.
1: And yeah. he had a sneak and, sneak attack on board. I was playing Elves. He was playing Sneaking Show. And I had a Green Sun Zenith in my hand and enough mana to go search for my Reclamation Sage to blow up his uh, seek Attack. And at this point, uh, I just had a Green Sun and he had no cards in hand. He was literally playing from the top of his library. He didn't know the next card at all, you know. He didn't have any Ponder or Brainstorm. He was just literally top-decking, hoping to get something good. Sure. Um, I don't know why, but I made a silly mistake and went and Green Sun for an Elvish Visionary. Uh, well, it's because I had a Symbiote in play. So I was thinking, oh, I can go and draw a bunch of cards and find the answer to his sneak attack, you know? Mm-hmm. When I was like, I already have the answer. It's record message, Sage. I had the Imana to get it, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed Visionary, which is such a terrible mistake. Like, I know better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and walk me really, through
0: it, walk me through what happened like when you realized that and how the how the match played out.
1: Oh man, I went on I went on full like I I, I, I tilted. I was just like as soon as I grabbed visionary to draw, I already knew I I messed up. And wow, that's really then, real time. <laughs> yeah. I was cause then as soon as I draw I grabbed the visionary, I put it in play, and then I draw the card. And I, before I draw the card, I was thinking, what do I want to draw, right? To answer his sneak attack.
0: <laughs> oh, right. The card that I can already get.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then I looked at my mana base. I was like, yeah, I could totally, totally. I had way, pl- a bunch of mana mm-hmm. to get the Rekka Mason change. So I went on tilt, and that was uh, game two. Uh, and then I lost. I lost game three because I was just tilt. I was, like, pissed off at myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I fortunately I I was you know, lucky enough to make day 2. Day 2 before day 2 started I told myself look like if you make a mistake like it's fine write it on your notepad and just play just 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 carry on. You know and that that's something that I was able to manage a lot better in day 2. Mm-hmm. When I made a mistake I was just like you know what it's okay like You're gonna make these mistakes like your opponent have made mistakes against you, and you're able to take advantage. Like this is what the mental uh, internal dialogue that I'm having with myself. You know, like it's okay, dude. Like don't trip. Yeah. Um, And it it helps a lot when I just remind myself, like, you play this game to have fun. This is a fun game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and if I was, I think if I was playing like much more serious, like on a pro tour. I think it will be much harder to like get over it, but since I I remind myself like this is supposed to be fun, mm-hmm. you know? this is not supposed to like upset you or piss you off. And then I'm like, then I remember what's important, you know. And it's like, all right, all right, it's it's legacy, man. <laughs> We're not <laughs> sure. playing for the pro tour here. Yeah, just, you know, we play to win, obviously, but yeah also have fun
0: so. and you write it down, which is interesting because it's almost like the act of writing it sort of makes it okay right like if you write down your mistake and I've done something similar like this too it there's this kind of finality finality um get it out of your system, okay. and then it's it feels kind of cheesy, but sometimes we all have to figure out these hacks that work for ourselves right
1: yeah and I think before I start writing down my mistakes i I think I was, I couldn't get over it because I was worried that I would forget that I made that mistake and not learn from it. Oh, so you have so to keep then, thinking about it. Yeah. So then it kept replaying in my mind as a way to like, oh, don't forget you made this mistake. And it was like in the front of my, like, uh, I guess the RAM part of my brain. You know, it was just like, oh, don't forget. Mm-hmm. Don't forget you made this mistake. Make sure you learn from it. But I mm-hmm. think if for me, and it's probably, Just like what you said, James, like, if I write it down, I can know safely, like, okay, I don't have to think about this for even the rest of the day. I can finish this tournament, go home the next day, go to sleep, go home the next day, look at that mistake, reflect on it while I'm not, you know, while I'm not upset. And kind of like, okay, that was dumb. Don't do it again. Um, And then forget, like, not forget, but like, not carry that mistake with me for the rest of the tournament, you
0: know? I think that's really important. I... I know you listened to the talk I had with Jarvis and he talked about how uh, if he makes a mistake and he understands that during the tournament, he tries not to process it until after the tournament because he just plays every, I mean, like a true professional or high level grinder. He just kind of goes into every match as if it was brand new without the, the baggage. And I think that's something that you've, uh, you've you verbalized here, which is, which is great as a, as a common theme.
1: Yeah, and you know, listening to Jarvis like just talk about it, it 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 was really nice because he he kind of shared a lot of how he prepares for a tournament, uh, and how what he goes through mentally when he's playing the tournament. And it's just like it's really nice to know that oh okay, yeah, like I can do that too, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of magic that's just around your habits and processes and systems, if I may use a lofty word. So I think uh, I think it's great. I think it's great, and I, I'm learning a lot right now too. So um, yeah, so kind of asking more about these rituals and learnings. I know that you mentioned Denny and Ricky. Uh, would you say that they're your mentors in magic?
1: Um, they probably uh, they're probably gonna laugh and you know br- try to deny that, but I I, I would say yes because um, they come from two different school of like magic players like Danny is really really uh, focused and determined um, and you know it's like very spiky, you know? He he wants to make sure the very last card in his deck is correct, mm. you know, for that tournament. Okay. Like, he would He's think about spike. it for days on... Yeah, he is a true, true spike. Like, um, you know, but without the doucheyness, I guess. Mm. <laughs> I, and Ricky is the almost the opposite end of the spectrum where Ricky kind of takes things as they come. I feel like he plays Magic literally to hang out with us, Mm-hmm. and Magic is just secondary like it's not he doesn't he who would like to win obviously he doesn't play to lose but losing to him doesn't hurt as bad as uh, I think Danny feels it you know mm-hmm. uh, and very very opposite in, in approach but yet they're very good Magic players they both are and they have a ton of you know successes uh, They I think they're both top eight at Star City events and they like they were good for a very long time, and you know when I was just scrubbing out tournament after tournament, I was just be like, "How are you guys doing this? Like how are you top aiding you know mm-hmm. um, and and having people like that around me like is really helpful because I can see that, oh yes, like there is the next level to getting better, and you know they would show me how like. A lot of times, Ricky would wait, watch me play a game, and then Ricky would come back later and be like, oh, uh, I think you did that wrong. And it's like something I didn't even notice at all. Mm-hmm. Danny typically, when we're testing, he'll like straight out while, while we're playing, he'll be like, oh, you did that wrong. Take it back, do it back. <laughs> Just like put me on tilt while I'm testing, whatever. Right, him. right. Uh, he, he likes to like correct me on the spot. And then Ricky likes to correct me after I finish the game.:
0: Yeah, they definitely sound like different personalities where in terms of how they approach the game, but it, it does sound like from your answer that they coach you in terms of how to make the right plays, which is key to success in magic.
1: Yeah, and and I, I you know, from the two of them, I can see two different approaches to the game, and both can lead to success. like it, it shows me you don't have to be super spiky to do well you know Mm -hmm. like i i remember um ricky one one of our channel fireball events he slept three hours the night before because he was like busy playing video games right and then he woke up three hours later he brought two decks one was nick fit and one was affinity and he didn't make the he didn't write down his deck list uh we (laughs) (laughs) we're I think we're, oh no, I'm sorry. There's a, we're going to Udo that day mm-hmm. and we're on the BART and then he was like, I don't know what deck to play. And then we literally just like, he's like, I want to just flip a coin. I was like, I don't know, dude. You haven't played, uh, you play Nifid all the time, but I haven't seen you play Affinity uh, in a while. You should just play that. Just, you know. And he's like, okay. And then we fill. I help him fill out the deck list on the BART and he went in top eight of that tournament. Like, on the fly, with three hours of sleep, he hasn't even looked at the list the last time he played it. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't know what what was in his affinity deck. He just grabbed the two decks and left.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: As opposed to Denny. Denny would not do that, by the way. Like, Denny, that was not something you would see Denny do. Mm -hmm. You know, Denny would have the deck list prepared, like, two nights before, printed out, tuned down to the last card.
0: Yeah. So, Ricky sounds like a more naturally intuitive magic player i'm not saying he's superior to to somebody else but he seems like someone who can quite frankly someone that i'm very jealous of you know because like for me at least i feel like i have to really work and prepare for the wins but for someone like ricky he's just like i just woke up had a hangover i'm gonna go and win this tournament now with a deck that my friend prepared for me so that's super awesome and uh and uh, he does sound like more of a natural guy now in terms of both of them, like Danny and Ricky, you just mentioned that they are very, they help you understand, like, have the awareness that different styles can win. Um, right. Do they tell you, do they teach you something about the game outside of the game? What I mean is, like, other than just making the right plays, um, is there something that they have in terms of habits that, that you, may, <laughs> maybe more from Denny's side, I don't know, um, that you, you <laughs> feel like really helps you as, you as you observe them or as they, as they, as they teach you?
1: Uh, teach me about like things outside of magic
0: What I mean is there's there's stuff that happens in magic as you're playing the game in terms of making the right plays, and they're they're pointing that stuff out to you, but right. still in the realm of magic, preparation, uh, right. how you think about the game. Is there something there that they also um, have that you've also learned from them?
1: oh yeah uh, they they were the people that kept telling me like oh maybe you shouldn't switch decks all the time maybe you should just play focus on one deck i see they they told me that and you know being hard-headed i didn't want to hear it yeah. you know i was like uh no i don't want to hear it i i want i like this deck it seems really sweet i yeah. want to experience this deck uh you can't tell me anything right. and it just being and they both were like that you know they're like Oh, like you should just focus on the deck, you know? That's how you get better on and being hard headed with a combination of impatience. uh, I didn't want to hear it.
0: Got it. Got it. So they helped you sort of uh, see the light, and it's now shown into some in your results, which is awesome. So, um,
1: yeah. 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 Very. very. Um,
0: Okay. So, next question What are some ways? I know you touched on this already, but what are some ways that magic has really enriched your life? Like, I mean, now that you go back and you think about, you know, playing as a kid or playing in the California Bay area, like what are some ways that it's really helped enrich your life?
1: Oh man. Magic is, for me, magic has always been about the people that is, that are playing magic. Um, What do I mean by that is the friends I have met uh, in middle school, you know, and then in high school that played magic, like, those are some of the closest friends I have to this day. You know, they are still, like, they are my friends, you know, because with magic, like, it's something that you can share uh, together, you know, playing against each other. And you spend so much time together when you're playing magic that you can't help but become really close friends. you get to know the other person's personal life uh, what they're going through some struggles or, or, or happy things that they have and uh, you know it it helps grow the bond because you know, I remember reading an article a while back um, that said uh, how men." Uh, men have a hard time making friends after high school. Like, that's just like a statistical fact. As opposed to women, they continue to have, make more friends throughout their life. The, for, uh, for men, for the most part, the friends that they made through uh, you know, K to 12 are going to be, for the most part, the friends that they have moving forward for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that article and I was really like saddened by it. I was like, man, that's just that's just actually true, you know? Uh, but with magic, it has allowed me to meet new people and uh, become friends with people from very different backgrounds um, than me that I would not imagine ever becoming friends with them outside of the context of magic because magic has kind of like allows you uh, to be in the same room with a person that you would normally not be in the same room with, you know? And and then magic kind of allows a conversation to start between two guys, you know? You know how awkward it is for two guys who never met each other? Like you like say, for example, you know, your girlfriend invites you to her friend's birthday party. You go there, right? Yep. And you meet some guy that you never met before. It, in my experience... Even if you both are uh, socially, you know, adept people, it's mm-hmm. still kind of awkward to talk to this person—you never another male that you never met before. It's kind of awkward, kind of weird, but with magic, there's a context. There's already a conver- conversation. You know, it's easy to start talking about magic, and through that conversation, you can make you can become t- closer friends with people.
0: Sure, I mean it's part of the culture, and just the fact that you can identify with someone else specifically on this thing, which you grew up on, whether it's Street Fighter, Magic, or Sports, I feel like um, having that common ground definitely helps the the friendship aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, looking back, I I feel like guys, we make friends uh, through doing things together, like we'll play video games together, and then you become friends with that guy who, you know, brought over a video game that he had, you know, Mm -hmm. like a friend of a friend. Uh, And same with magic. Like, I think women have a much easier time making friends with other women, but men, it's, like, way harder, you know? So, magic has, for me, enriched my life in that sense where I'm able to meet people and uh, grow a lot closer and become close, close friends with people. Right,
0: right. Although there's another way to do it. I mean, next time in a party, it sounds like you could just talk to all the girls and uh, that you have... (laughs) <laughs> easier to talk to girls than guys, right? I think it's sort of sort of implied. No, I'm just joking. No, no,
1: no, no. I, I didn't...
0: So, An, do you have any magic-related goals for the next three to five years? Oh,
1: man. Ah, oh, let me think. First. It's kind Magic of a hard one. I'm kind of putting
0: you on the spot because I just got from your answers that it's one of the things is just being able to hang out with friends, right? But if I were to ask yeah. you, the game's gonna be around for a while, I'm sure. Right. Do you have any specific goals for the next three to five years?
1: Um, my goal I think, I have a few goals. I, I don't know if it's too ambitious, but I have a few goals. Uh, first goal is to be able to go to one big uh, legacy GP or uh, legacy event like eternal weekend uh, or something like that each year with, uh, with my friends right, or our, our group of friends um, uh, that's, that's goal number one. I, I hope to be able to go at least once a year um, uh, second goal is to hopefully grow the, ma- like the legacy community the eternal community in uh, SF Bay Area, uh, as large as possible, um, you know, I I'm just so glad to have people to play Legacy with. I remember, you know, when I first started playing Legacy, like uh, we would have to meet up at KFC, like Denny, Ricky, and a few other of us would meet up at like KFC or something, and we'll play like practice there, you know. And now, when we are, when uh, Abby uh, set up an event, that's like, you know, fourteen people, like on a random Thursday, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like blows my mind. Like I could never imagine that that would happen. Now it's happening. So I just hope to be able to sustain, maintain, uh, and hopefully, you know, grow the community by just putting the word out letting people know like hey reminding people there's an event coming up so that they'll go you know or give give legacy a shot a lot of people are new people uh, that this is their first legacy tournament they played their whole life is the, the legacy they played this year so um, and third goal I think is to win a legacy GP like when when I was listening to Jarvis like you know, a lot of people might look up to I don't know, like LSV or, or, or you know, you know someone who's like who's like a pro tour Hall of Fame. Like, mm-hmm. with all due respect for those guys, like I'm sure they're very good. Like, I I I want to be where Jarvis is at. Like, winning the Legacy GP means more to me. I I know this might be blasphemous to some people, than winning a pro tour. Like. To me, that's like the pinnacle of legacy. You know, I I'm sure winning a pro tour is like got more cachet. You know, much more, much more respect with that one. But uh, like Jarvis is where I want to be. Winning, being being known as a legacy, uh, or GP legacy champion, that's huge, dude. That's I that that's a goal, but it's. It's not something I, I am actively uh, pursuing uh, as much as my first two goals.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a great goal because it's not like any of us can guarantee that we're going to win a major event. But there are going to be things that you will try to do. You had mentioned your first goal being participation, try to play in them, You know that's a start. And also yeah. having these people around you who are helping you get better and as you said, discipline to play certain decks and ride the ups and downs, I think these are all skills that will help you achieve the third goal.
1: I I really hope so. I mean, the Legacy GPs come so far and few in between, and you have to be like insanely good, like insanely good and insanely lucky. Um, so, you know, if I don't achieve that goal, like I'm not gonna sweat it, it's not gonna, you know, but I've always been reminded by Danny and Ricky, like, you know, what's important is being with friends. You know, like I many times when, uh, uh, you know, Danny didn't do good at a tournament, for example, but or Ricky didn't do good, you know, and they, you know they were like, you know, I I had a lot of fun today, you know, even though I didn't do well, I scrub out. It was like super super nice to be able to have a day to spend with you guys and you know i had a lot of fun Yep. and that's that's always reminded me of why i play magic is to be with friends doing something together that we both love and uh and want to get better at so
0: yeah that's awesome awesome man that's uh very well thought out set of answers to the question now i'm gonna conclude the talk with one final question (laughs) <laughs> it's probably the easiest one do you have any shout outs <laughs> to anybody that you want to
1: make oh yeah I, I love the okay so I'm just going to go down the list okay
0: <laughs> get your speech ready
1: <laughs> Uh, so I want to shout out to Denny Ricky um, Peter L uh, Peter N uh, Stefan Donnie Abby Zach uh, shit there's so many people And uh, SF Bay Eternal Group, uh, you know that's a great community there. So if you, if any listeners uh, enjoy Eternal formats, uh, you know check us out on Facebook, join the group. We're always uh, pretty active. Um, I also want to shout out to Stefan for. Uh, you know, making time to do a legacy podcast with me where it's called legacy landscape. And we're going to have our first episode, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, we've, we've already recorded like three or four, but we haven't published them yet. So, uh, we're I'm pretty excited to that. And, uh, last but not least, uh, sh- shout out to James. <laughs> you. Uh, no, th- thank you for first asking me and, you know, making the time to, uh, To talk to me, man. Uh, I really appreciate. I it was. I was very surprised when you asked me, uh, because I was just like, you know, you got Jarvis, then you got Julian, you know, and then you got Travis Wu. I was like, and then you asked me. I was like, really? So I I I very much appreciate it, James.
0: No, believe me, the pleasure is all mine. And you know, like I told you, off the record. The reason I want to do this is just the labor of love, right? I'm not trying to make this thing into this commercial thing. In fact, I feel like the interview we had today, I've learned a heck of a lot, and I, ho- I think our listeners will as well, because most of us are in this kind of category where we're we're competitive, but we're not. Our name is not LSV, so I think there's a lot. Um, actually, shout out to LSV, great guy. <laughs> uh, but we're not all like the best player, one of the best players of all time. So I feel mm-hmm. like uh, I've learned. A lot from this talk and that's really the point is to highlight people with all kinds of different backgrounds who enjoy the game of magic Uh, hence the the title humans of magic so on again it's been great having you and i wish you the best going forward and to all the listeners please do hit up on or anyone from the bay area eternal scene if you're there i did it a few years ago it was great that's how i got to know them And uh, please check out his podcast, uh, Legacy Landscape, and make sure that uh, you check out Legacy in the Bay Area. These guys are awesome.
1: Thank you so much, James.
0: All right. All the best.